All right, everybody, welcome back to the Garden of Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. 2023, our first show of the new year, and here, as always, to join us and give us uh, incredible insights, Steve Valiquette. Uh, happy holidays, belatedly, Steve. I hope you're feeling better after you're, you were laid low during the break. Yeah, I'm feeling soft as baby poo for the last couple of weeks, uh, trying to get it together and get healthy Steve back on track, because you know what? It put a dent into my skiing. And uh, oh, that really hurt my feelings. I was laid out for Christmas. Yeah, you don't like that. I feel like everybody, anybody who has kids or try to do something fun during the during Christmas, New Year's is definitely dealing with something. But um, in any event, uh, the Rangers are going great guns here in 2023. Three straight wins to start the new year. Uh, a really eh win in Florida against a team that looked like uh, it really wants to be anywhere else, anywhere else than on the ice. And then last night in Montreal, um, you know, that's a, that's a good team beating a, a not-so-good team, and that's kind of how that went, I think. Um, but I want to talk especially uh, about the Carolina win a couple nights ago at the Garden, which was, uh, you know, not the best-played game. Carolina forces you to do a lot of stuff that you don't want to do, especially in your own end. But the Rangers were able to persevere in that game, got a couple of good bounces, got a couple of lucky uh, officiating calls go their way. All of it doesn't matter. You still come out with the W with a game they were trailing heading to the third period. Um, and also the thing that I liked about that game was Carolina, I think it was 45 shot attempts in that game. That's their second lowest total in the year. And then you look at them two nights later, they're playing at home against Nashville. 102 <laughs> last night, 67 yeah. on net against Nashville. Still a loss, which because UC Saros played out of his mind. But they are not a team that they're a team that shoots the puck and goes and gets it before you can go get it and makes you run around the defensive zone. And they did that uh, pretty well in the first period in that game. But I thought that was even though they gave up three, that was uh, a Ranger game where I think they showed a lot more of what they showed, especially in the playoffs last year, where they were able to, to play at that high level with some teams that that might might actually be better than that might be might be deeper and more talented than them. You know, just quickly on Carolina, I just posted it on my Twitter account. They had 12 high danger chances of the 67 shots they had. <laughs> so to put that in perspective, Halak faced 10 high danger versus Florida in the game earlier oh, yeah. this week. So I don't know. Yeah, 40 low danger shots for Carolina yeah. last night against Nashville. Um, I, I get excited about the team right now just because it seems like the luck has turned, Arthur. Yeah. And you're talking about, a lot of broken play goals that we've seen over the last few games, including the Carolina one. And if you remember, I don't know if it's four or five episodes on the podcast ago, we were talking about broken plays and how the Rangers were leading the league with broken plays, but had the fewest goals. And that's the only way you can really measure luck as it affects shooting percentage. And I think the biggest change for the Rangers since December 5th, which was the game where they came from behind against St. Louis, they were down 4-3 in the third, they scored three, they won 6-3. That, to me, I think we'll look back at the end of the season and say that was the turning point. Mm -hmm. That was the point where the team said, enough is enough, we're not losing at home to this team, and St. Louis certainly looks like a non-playoff team this year, and they just put their foot down and said, enough, and I feel like... Everything luck-wise has turned when they've almost taken their eye off of trying to be perfect in their execution, and now they're just finding a way. Their shooting percentage at five-on-five on, five on high-danger chances is second in the NHL since December 5th, that game against St. Louis. 
off the rush, their shooting percentage on high danger chances at five on five is third. So they've really found a way to find themselves without having to reinvent the game because oftentimes, Arthur, and I, I, I deal with this a lot with teams and coaches. And I remember one conversation in, in particular with John Hines after he was let go from the New Jersey Devils. And Jack Hughes at that point was like 0 for 17 on breakaways. And uh, Simmons in front of the net had 0 for 18 on rebounds. And a lot of his top guys just weren't finishing. Mm-hmm. And you miss the playoffs and your coach gets fired. Right. And that's how hockey works isn't it? It's the coach gets let go if the goalie doesn't make a save and the coach also gets let go most times in combination when the shooters just aren't putting it in the back of the net when they are getting the chances, they're getting their opportunities. So it didn't get to that point. It was close with the Rangers where things were really bubbling over uh, for a time right before that game against St. Louis. The Rangers found a way and they've righted it and they're in good shape right now. I mean, they're right back in the mix. We're not talking about how hard the math is going to be to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're in right now. And you can see the difference between them and the Montreal Canadiens or the Rangers and the Florida Panthers, the other non-playoff teams. There's there's a certain divide between the quality of the team and the elite high-end talent that the Rangers have versus the bottom third of the league right now. You can clearly see it. But the game against Carolina, that was a tight game. Uh, The scoring chances were very close. I believe it was six high danger each in that game. It was a very playoff feel game. Unfortunately, for the fans, you have to go through the season. You have to play whoever's on the schedule. There's going to be games here that are brought to you by Ambien. (laughs) <laughs> but you just got to get through them. You got to get through your schedule and get up for the games where you're going to get tested. Um, and, you know, I think that looking at the team with where they are right now, they've responded. They've beaten everybody that's any good uh, since November 5th. So, or excuse me, since December 5th. So the only game I would say that was really the stinker was against Washington. But everybody else in the East, I mean, you can sit back right now, Arthur, and say, does anybody really scare you? And I know Boston's good. They haven't seen them during that stretch. That's the only exception to what I just uh, covered there. Yeah, you know, we talk about luck, you know, and we talked about it a lot the first, you know, 15, 17 games when the Rangers' underlying metrics were quite good, especially compared to the first two months of last season when they were, you know, whatever, 16, 4, and 3, or, you know, all pretty much due to the goalie. Um, they were they were just not completing plays they were they, you know their their expected number expected goals and expected assists were really high and generating lots of high danger chances just not not enough going in the net and it's something i think that you know fans maybe and maybe even us writers and observers and maybe even players and coaches don't always want to stare that that l word luck in the face that um you see that game against carolina like you said chances were very similar couple of broken play goals either way and really what you're looking at is you know does does the rookie referee who's being called up from the AHL Jordan Samuels Thomas does he call the letter of the law play when they're up by a goal late on Jordan Martinook and say you played with a broken stick and held on to it too long and there's a big argument that ensues you get that that coin flip going your way that can be the thing that makes the difference Keandre Miller goes deep in the zone Puts a little head fake, almost like a basketball move on Paul Stastny. Comes, curls around. There's a shot that comes right then. It's a beautiful deflection. Earlier in the year, maybe that one hits the post and goes wide. 
and then that's it. And then you're tied and you might lose an overtime and then you feel a little bit differently about it. It's it's those little plays because the parity and the, the, the level of play is so even. And you can see it in the standings in the Metro where whatever, six points between second and sixth and the sixth place team is going to be out of luck. That, uh, that, that really is the difference at times. You know, you know, Arthur, back to my Twitter account, uh, just to pump some more air into that. I posted this the other day, the shooting percentage for the Rangers uh, at five on five on high danger chances up until that St. Louis game that I referenced, they were 31st in the NHL. And then off the rush, they were 30th. But if you remember, they were top five in getting chances. And we haven't wavered since the first show that we've done here where we're looking at the data and we're certainly watching the games ourselves. I mean, the luck was just not going their way and it was absurd at times. The amount of posts. We know that the Rangers lead the NHL in posts and uh, the missed nets, of course, play a factor. But I think it's always been just a matter of everything turning around and it's certainly in their favor now. And it's it's nice, once again, it's nice that they had the patience and they also had the belief to not change everything. Isn't it important to understand that with this game because of how PDO works? the difference between your team shooting percentage and your goalies making saves for you, you it's hard to understand, but you can be playing really well and lose in this league. And it's important not to waver off of what you're doing well just because the puck on a few bounces is emptying a, ending up in your net too frequently and not going into the opponent's net frequently enough. It's, it's just a funny thing that way. And the Rangers... They've found a way to get through that part of the season. And look, it's going to make them stronger down the stretch. Yeah, and talking about situations with some adversity. And then we can look at uh, some of their core kids, especially up front. And uh, it's been it's been a different sort of couple of weeks for, say, Capo Caco versus Alexi Lafreniere. And we'll talk also about Philip Heedle and, and Vitaly Krasov. Heedle, um, I guess, was under the weather, according to Gerard Gallant. Uh, got bumped down after you know a, a couple of uh, eh plays in the Carolina game. Um, ended up scoring two goals last night in Montreal, uh, and his numbers are quite good. Considering you know, I think he's uh, you know even strength points per sixty. He's he's tops on the team, and and you know eleven goals through barely half of the, you know just about half of the season is is a big step forward for Hedl and crafts up too I think uh, the numbers aren't there but he seems like a different sort of player that he's getting a little bit more time uh, seems a little less cautious about making mistakes or getting caught in bad positions um, but I think the focus here among the kids especially among the forwards is Kako and Lafreniere and two guys that are kind of going in different directions and and if we'd had this show seven months ago at you know after game six of this of the Eastern Conference final when Lafreniere was finishing off a, a series in a playoff which you thought was a real arrival for him. You know, he's throwing big hits. He's making some really good plays on the kid line. He's wrestling with Steven Stamkos at the end of game five. Um, you thought, okay, this is a kid whose confidence is is through the roof now, and we're going to see a number one pick uh, emerge and, and really be that same guy this year. And with Kako, who was sitting above my shoulder in the press box in Tampa and street clothes for game six, you wondered if he was even going to be a Ranger this season. And yeah. now... Here we are, uh, you know, midway through the year. Kako, um, you know, when I go on your site and I just look at high da- individual high danger chances, he's been number one pretty much from start to finish on the team. And, and beginning of the year, he wasn't – he was either getting, you know, incredible saves, 
being made on his plays or just missing the net. And it seemed like, is he going to figure this out or is it going to, is it going to hurt him mentally? And it really hasn't, you know, and, and certainly since Gallant elevated him back to the top line on the right side with Chris Kreider to make his advantage at, he played really well there in Florida, uh, started the play that, that ended with Miller's game winning goal in the third period against Carolina had another pretty strong game last night in Montreal. He seems to be in a very good place right now. And, uh, looking more like uh, the power forward that I think the Rangers thought they were getting with the second pick from a few years ago. And then we have Lafreniere, who was a healthy scratch in Tampa, um, caused a big stir. I wrote a story where I quoted some executives and scouts uh, who watch him play who don't really see a, a, a um, you know, a former number one pick, a guy who should be uh, not necessarily dominating the game, but certainly dominating shifts from time to time and, and just not being noticeable. And really he's been, since he's been back, it seems like they've kind of eased him back and he's eased himself back and being in Montreal, maybe played a little better in his hometown last night. But, but what do you make of the last couple of weeks for, for Kako and, and Lafreniere? Kako has been terrific and no short of terrific. I've really enjoyed watching him be able to protect the puck while being able to see the ice. And that's the biggest asset that he has going for him right now. He reminds me of Peter Forsberg in the way that Peter would be able to protect the puck, a low base, a wide base, a strong base, and at the same time still being able to be very comfortable, not with a blind pass, but with an executed pass that he knows that he doesn't have to give away sometimes to the defenders that he's playing against what he's exactly going to do. Case in point, uh, against Carolina and Florida, and he's looking for Kreider in the slot, and he's able to feed the point, or he's looking for Kreider in the slot, and then he quickly goes to Zibanejad. Those types of plays are why he is where he needs to be right now on the top line. Zibanejad, Kreider, Kako, that line to me is not going anywhere. They've got to run with that, let this kid get the next 40-plus games, and be ready for big boy hockey in the playoffs. I think that he's found his game. At this point right now, he knows who he is, what he has to do, how he has to play. And playing with Zibanejad and Kreider, he's going to keep getting opportunities. Uh, 29 high danger chances, most of which have been when he's on that line. So I'm thrilled with the way he's playing because we know that the Rangers' success hinges on these young guys being big contributors. When you look at every single team in the NHL that's going to contend this year, everybody has five to seven players that are making around a million bucks. And your entry-level guys and your guys that are just coming out of entry-level that are still on team-friendly deals like Kako, and you're seeing guys like Jimmy Vesey get signed for the right amount of money, it's so important that you have value contracts, but guys that are going to contribute. And when they go over the boards for you, they're going to have a positive shift. So that's excellent news for the New York Rangers. Uh, Kravtsov, I don't know if he's going to be able to handle that second line. I'm, I'm rooting for him. Um, there's moments during the Washington game where he's getting ragdolled. And he comes back and he does the same thing against Tampa Bay and has success. So... You know, I'm sitting on my couch there in Vermont watching the games and I'm like, all right, like, you, you know, you're rooting for this kid. You just don't know if he understands how to play, when to play the finesse game and mm -hmm. how heavy can he play it against the big boys. It's hard. So you got to figure it out, right? Like he's going through it. It's, he's 20 games in and he's had eight high danger chances in 20 games. 
as a complement to a line with Trocek and Panarin, you'd like to see more there. Like, I, I want to see him burst. I'd love to see 15, 17. I'd like to see a high danger chance a game. You know, that would be him being able to, to score regularly because you're not going to score in the NHL as a young guy the way that you scored at the lower leagues. It's just not going to happen. It, it takes high danger chances. You got to get good looks. You got to get two on ones. You got to get breakaways. And he's, he's had them, just hasn't finished on them yet. Lafreniere, I don't know what to make of Lafreniere right now. He's just not playing well. And he's not fitting in. And it's hard because you look at the team, right, Arthur? They're so set. Uh, the power play is set. Nobody's going anywhere unless there's an injury. First line set. Second line, maybe possibly Kravtsov could flip with uh, Lafreniere if Kravtsov doesn't handle the load. But to me, Lafreniere's got to earn that now too. He's mm-hmm. he's past the point of opportunity. And now it's you've got to earn it to be able to get those minutes and it's going to be harder now for him to get his next opportunity that's going to be the chance, the chance that Kako has right now. So I don't know how it's going to work out for him, but he's like last night in Montreal. I thought that was a perfect opportunity to play against a light defense, a very light defense, a young D, uh, a team that's very easy to get chances against. Did the team play that well in Montreal? Not really. But they have better players and they won. Right. You know, it wasn't a great measuring game, but I'd like to see the young guys in those games. I'm not, you know, forcing them to play their best hockey against the best clubs in the NHL, but when you play against the bottom third over the next 42 games, take advantage of those nights. That's that's pretty much what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, I after the benching, I thought the spot to put him back in would be on the right side with with Trocek and Panarin just to just to give Lafreniere, you know, you, you sit him out, you know, he's at a low point. You want to build him back up a little bit. Um, but really it's, it, you know, and, and I think Gallant said he prefers him on the left side. And I think maybe that's the thing that is the most confounding about this situation is that when he was drafted, they already had Panarin. They already had Kreider. Neither of those guys was going anywhere. Why wouldn't you say to the kid, look, if you want to succeed here, you're going to have to learn how to play the right side and feel more comfortable with it and ease him into it a little bit here and more here and there than just saying like he's a left wing and we like him at left wing. And you and I are not privy to what goes on behind the scenes, whether it's conversations between him and the coach or his agent and Chris Drury about opportunities and where he prefers to play and all that kind of stuff. But just from the outside and from observing him through all of these games you know we've both seen a lot of his 170 whatever it is games 174 nhl games yeah why wouldn't you throw the gauntlet down on a kid who was the best amateur player for three years running did everything he needed to do he's not Connor bedard or Sidney crosby but he was at a he was a, a no doubter number one pick that year everybody thought so and the rangers took him it was lucky bounce for them in the in the draft lottery and to be the guy that he wanted, he could be um, in the in the Quebec League and for Canada at the amateur level, he would have had to do it at the, on the right side, or else there just wouldn't have been a lot of opportunities. And I can understand, I can understand from a young guy's standpoint that if you see that you're being blocked and it's year after year and you're still getting your 13 or 14 minutes a night, that you can waver a little bit mentally. Um, maybe he's gone a little too far to that point where he just seems to be floating sometimes, um, not having any sort of impact. But it's it's a little 
it's a little strange to me that that the that it wasn't just from an early stage of him being a ranger saying you're going to have to play the right side if you want to have an impact on this team. Yeah, you know, the first point you made it's so true, right? Because unless you're in the room and I learned this when I coached at Quinnipiac, coached 2 years in the minor leagues, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, I didn't realize how much I didn't know about the workings of our team until I was in the coach's office. And you hear the way the coaches talk about the players and you hear the way the general manager comes down from up top and talks to your coaches about the development of the players. When you're behind that door, and I've been behind the door for three years, I really learned a lot about how honest the conversation is. And Don Waddell, the general manager in Carolina, had a really good interview that I listened to last week preparing for the Carolina Hurricanes game. And what he was talking about was Martin Nietzsche. And he had a really bad year last year. And Don said at the end of the year, I called him in and his agent. We sat down and we talked about his summer and his training camp, which was not a good one. And he admitted to that. The player said, look, I didn't prepare the right way. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought I had things figured out. Sometimes young players go through that process where you think it's going to be easy the next year. And the point of the story is, is that this kid's got 17 goals right now. You know, Nietzsche is really, you saw him the other night, that kid's a player, um, but he had to mature with his preparation because when you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail. And that's, that's as old and true as anything that you'll learn in this game. You've got to take every single minute and make it count all summer long. Now, Lafreniere is going through it right now. And I, I, I'd imagine that he's thinking to himself, how can I get faster? How can I get in better shape? How can I be more explosive? How can I hang on to pucks longer? I've got to get bigger. I've got to be better. He's got the skill work. He knows how to play the game, but he's not playing it at an NHL level right now. He's just not. And the team needs him, so he's got to figure it out. I think there's a lot of honest, hard conversation that he has to have with himself to be able to figure out what steps he needs to take to be a better player. Because He's got the talent. He's a first overall pick for a reason. And nobody, nobody saw this kid struggling like this. Nobody thought it was going to be this hard for him. Everybody anticipated, and I'm talking every scout I've talked to, every GM I've talked to, every coach, anybody that saw him, everybody expects more. I'm sure he's going to be able to find it. It might take another year, though. Like it's, I don't see it coming around the corner. I haven't seen a lot of signs of it for him. So that's what's... That's what's up for him. You know, he's got to figure that part of it out and it's up to him. Uh, it's never easy for the young player. I remember just quickly with my own career, six games I played with the Islanders. It was uh, the 2000 season and I had a 949 save percentage. And I really thought that I had things figured out going into the summer. And I'll never forget it. Butch Goring sat me down, our coach, and he sat me down at the end of the season in the exit meetings. And he's like, Valley, my only fear for you is that you think you got to figure it out. And I was like, no, no, I, no, seriously. And I was like, no, no, I got, I'm, I'm okay. I got it, Butchie. Sure enough. You know what I did that summer? I started taking guitar lessons. I was taking golf lessons. I packed my schedule with extracurriculars because I thought I had hockey figured out. You know, I was 21 or 22 years old and I wasn't even close, but I was immature that summer. I didn't have a good summer. I scored poorly in the fitness testing. I didn't have a great camp. And because we, you don't score well in the fitness testing, you don't have a lot of leash yeah. in training camp. 
And I found those things out. And, you know, I just wonder for Lafreniere if he's just having that one year where he had the immaturity issues, you know, and, and he'll turn it. Let's not forget, Mika Zibanejad was pegged as that player, and that's why Ottawa got rid of him. And he, he would tell you now, oh, yeah, I was immature when I was young, and he's certainly a high performer now and figured it out after a couple of years in the league. Yeah, it's uh... – you know, we can have a whole other conversation about around development. It seems to be a buzzword among the fan base about do, can the Rangers develop forwards? And, you know, you, during the time you were playing, um, there were plenty of Ranger forwards that developed and became cornerstone pieces during their, you know, during during their sensational five-year run in the mid-2010s. But hey, uh, Arthur, may I interrupt for one second? Please do. The, the only thing about the development piece, Arthur – is that fans have to understand the coaches can't go on the ice with the players in the summer. And the time to develop isn't during the season. It's your summer. I feel like the conversation is more, you get support from the NHL team. So the development staff for the New York Rangers has a conversation with that player at the end of the season. He checks, They check in with them over the summer, but they physically aren't allowed to be on the ice with them. You have to hire your own people in the summer. Okay. I hired Sedarshan Mirage. You know Sudsy from the Islanders, right? So I hired Sudsy when I was 20 years old, and I was on the ice with him three times a week. I had a nutritionist. I had a sports psychologist. I had uh, my gym taken care of with Dennis Lindsay, who was a terrific trainer in Toronto. It was up to me. There's no chance I ever get a sniff at having a 15-year career playing hockey if I didn't have a great summer every summer. So I know that they get blamed a lot. And you know what? It's it's just not the way it is. The summer is when you improve. You know, if if any player that is sort of on the cusp like Lafreniere is, if he just puts the golf clubs down for a summer and just says, you know what? All I'm doing, I'm all in on hockey. I don't care about anything else that happens this summer. Social, beat it, have a beer, keep it. You know, I'm gonna do my I'm gonna do hockey this summer and he goes all in, then you see him have a huge jump. Like that's to me, that's where it is. You have massive growth, and the only opportunity to have that massive growth is those four or five months in the summer. Well, keep beating that drum, Valley, because development is is uh, is becoming a, a dirty word among Ranger fans when they want to talk about forwards and development and what it all means. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's still be an ongoing conversation. We'll switch gears now and we'll talk about uh, like one of our favorite subjects is the Rangers goaltending. Uh, Yaroslav Halak didn't have a terrific game in Florida. It was certainly good enough to get a win. Um, he was pretty good again, probably better than he was in Florida last night in Montreal. And he's got, I posted on a Twitter, his numbers, he was drafted by the Canadians in 2003 and obviously came to prominence with them when they were the eighth seed in 2010. He, you know, basically was the main reason they upset the top-seeded Capitals and had a decent run in the playoffs. Bounced around after that, St. Louis, Islanders, and then the last few years, Boston, Vancouver, and now here as a backup. Um, when he was with the Islanders and I was covering that team, uh, he hated to play the Canadians, and there was a good reason because he was terrible against them. He was, I think it was 0-4 uh, or maybe five starts, four losses, one no decision, uh, goals against up around five uh, save percentage in the mid eights, just terrible. I like, could never beat them, especially up there. 
And with everybody else, St. Louis, Boston, and now the Rangers, 7-0. and I think he's given up six goals in those seven wins. <laughs> and it's just been lights out, which is hilarious. So maybe he's maybe there's something about wearing a, not just not wearing an Islander uniform facing the Canadians. But um, it, just the fact that he can get wins, even if he's not playing great, that certainly wasn't happening the first six or seven starts. So obviously that's a great change. And with Igor Shosturkin is playing not fully, uh, you know, king of the league like it was last year, but a lot more like it. He's got a, you know, he's put together over the last, since that St. Louis game, whether I think 11, two and one, I think he's maybe had five starts where he's given up one goal. So, you know, you're seeing a lot more. And certainly that game in Tampa where he got just slightly out by Andre Vasilevsky, where they both face 40 plus shots. Um, you know, you're seeing you're seeing the the old Igor, and now he's been rewarded by being named to the All Star game. Whether that's a reward or not, we'll talk about that. But uh, <laughs> what do you make of their goaltending through this this kind of pretty hot month that they've had? Yeah, so sort of goes back to the conversation of um, let's look at our team, and I think that I think the fans would like to know that after every game is played, the coaches are looking at that game itself. They're looking at how their team is playing, and they're looking at their players. Right? It's game, team, player. That evaluation is constant after every game. And when I look at it from that perspective, the forwards to me, that group, the forward group, it's pretty set in stone. You know, There's going to be a couple of ads at the trade deadline, just like last season. But that's a really good forward, forward group for right now. Same with the defensive pairings. Very good for right now. Harper's been excellent with Schneider, and that's been a, a huge plus for the team over the last month. Then you look at the first power play. We know that's set. The first penalty kill, uh, again, Kreider gets another one last night, Shorty. But you know you're going to be able to roll out Zibanejad and Kreider on the first part of the penalty kill, get you through the first 45 seconds, get a switch, and I don't know if it's Goudreau or Vizi comes out next. But you know that you're going to have good pressure on your penalty kill. Their special teams have been great. So when you're evaluating your team and you get to the goalies, you need to know what you have in your backup. You need to know because your backup, the guy you chose to go with, is 37 years old. Now, first of all, starting right there at that age, I'm not sure how Halak is even playing at that age because at age 35, I was done. Like, I mean, (laughs) done, done, done. So a credit to him for being able to still go after it at age 37. And I think the significance of the start in Montreal is it's a team that he played for. He's had a lot of success there at the Bell Center. So that's a part of it. It's a bottom third team in the league. So that's a part of it. But I think the biggest piece, Arthur, is the Rangers must know what they have in Halak in the event anything ever happens to Shesterkin. So subjectively, I was looking at this before the game and preparing for the Montreal game yesterday. And he had a 3-6-1 and record going into the game. Now, two of the losses out of his six were team losses. But I'd hang four of the six on him for poor play. That's just the way it is, right? And that's eight points in the standings. And going into the game yesterday against Montreal, those eight points would have had the Rangers with 56 points tied in first place with Carolina. Right. Right? Now, that piece exists. That That is real, as is, I would say, the seven losses the Rangers had through October and November against what I'll deem as non-playoff teams. So the combination of those two things have the Rangers in the middle of a playoff spot rather than being in first place. That's that's the facts. That's where the season is right now. But what you find out in Montreal, as you 
now. He's won three games in a row. And I thought that he was actually really good against uh, Florida Panthers. He had 10 high danger saves. And we went over those in the pregame. And there was a lot of big open looks off the rush. Mm-hmm. Big ones. I thought he was really good there. So you, you kind of springboard off that one. And he's playing a solid game right now. He had six. It was a weird night last night too, by the way. I watched his high danger chances against this morning as I was doing the game review. And the six that he did face, they were all broken plays. I don't know if I've ever seen that in a game before, but they all had an element of a broken play where there was a ricochet right before a save. So that, to me, has a lot of impact. And the reason why was because, if you remember, with three minutes to go in the first period, he faces his first shot. Right. Right? So mental strength to be able to stay in a game – and then your first shot is three minutes to go in the first period. And then the six high dangers you face in the game, they're all ricochets and wild chances. He didn't have a lot of clean shots. And it was 18 shots on the night. I, I like that game for him. That's a solid. So now I think that, once again, back to the team and the players, I think that management should be really happy with where they are with Halak right now. Uh, three wins ago, they're probably pretty worried and now they're sitting here saying, you know what? It's it's what I said at the beginning of the season, which was this is going to be the best tandem in the NHL. You're going to have a really good support guy for uh, quite possibly another Vesna guy. So I like where they're at. One more time, I, I just like where everything is going at this point in the season for the Rangers. So with Igor, um, all-star games are not uh, friendly to goalies. Let's put it that way. Like uh, you were, you may not have been around the Islanders or in their system when Rick DiPietro suffered basically what was, uh, you know, a very slow stage, but a career ending injury that he, in, the, in an all-star game. Right. It was, you know, I think before the lockout, but it was just, that was kind of the beginning of the end for poor Ricky. Um, but they're just not, you know, their stages for, trick shots and all the other stuff that the, that the skaters can give. The goalies are kind of just there for, for window dressing. But Igor Shesterkin is the, the first Ranger chosen. There may be one or two more. There's still uh, two more skater spots to be voted on by the fans. Um, I think by the end of next week or the week after, they'll, they'll finalize those. So you could see Mika Zibanejad. You could see Adam Fox. You could see Artemi Panarin. Um, but Igor is going. And uh, it's in South Florida, which I believe is a place that Igor calls home in the off season. So he might have been going there anyway for that <laughs> long break that the Rangers have. It's just not going. He's going to spend a little less time with the family. Um, what do you make of that? For you know, and he's he's still top five in minutes played this season. It seems like, as you're pointing out, Halak is in a good place now. So I think they can at least start to alternate like they did this week, where you don't. You're not just looking for the back-to-back to put Halak in there. You can make give him some scheduled starts and give Igor a set. You'll have these three days off, and that's got to be good for hit for anybody's goaltending. You know, mental their mental state of a goaltender. Um, but working that weekend at the All Star game, obviously it's an honor, but it's also a bit of a grind for goalies. And you were you were with Hank during a lot of his All Star years. Um, you know what what do you make of that? And and is it do you think it can still be fun, or do you would you rather your your workhorse number one get a, f- a full weekend or a full week off to just sort of sit around uh, be- between the games when the All Star break comes up? Yeah, I really waver on this one, Arthur, because 
I experienced it myself only uh, in junior hockey, playing in an all-star game then, and remembering, preparing for it, that you just don't want to go out there and get embarrassed, quite honestly, because it's not hockey. Right. It's just not. Nobody cares about playing any defense. And you can get frustrated if you want it to feel like hockey from the goalie's perspective. And the game is the worst part. Let me just put it that way. The game is the worst part. Everything else is terrific because I remember a conversation I had with Devin Dubnik and it was after the 2018 All-Star game and two years prior, uh, might've been more like four, maybe four years prior, he was uh, up and down between the American Hockey League. He was you know, a goalie that started in Edmonton, didn't play well, went to Montreal, didn't play well, and then was in the American Hockey League. Uh, and then found a way to resurrect his career in Minnesota. And he was terrific after a short stint in Arizona. Long story short is he says to me, he's like, you know what, Valley? I'm in my gear because I guess they were getting bust from one location to the other. And he's like, I'm in my gear. And it dawns on me. I'm sitting next to Henrik Lundqvist. You know, he's, <laughs> on, he's on the bus and he's sitting next to Henrik. He's like, I was in the minors a couple of years ago, you know, like down and out. And now I'm sitting next to Henrik Lundqvist. And I was like, you know what? That's really cool, man. And, you know, we talked about the experience and how great it is just to be in the locker room with the other stars in the league and see those faces and know that you're in the conversation. You're in the game where they shoot on you. All the best. So that part of it is very wholesome, very healthy for Igor's psyche. That's why I like it. That's why I like it. And furthermore, big picture... It's for the fans. It's for a lot of the young fans. And Igor is going to inspire a lot of young goalies to play goal. He's going to inspire a lot of guys to stick with it and a lot of really good athletes in this region to play goal. I saw it through my hockey camps over the last 15 years, the impact that Henrik has had in the tri-state area for all of the guys that choose to play goal. Ask any goalie that I coach right now that is uh, collegiate age, and they will all tell you that, yeah, I sat next to uh, or sat behind Henrik, watched him at the garden. And, you know, it's really neat. They all idolized him. They all play goalie and inspired goal because of how Henrik played. So that piece is really big, too. So I see it both ways. Do I, from a management standpoint, if I'm in Chris Drury's chair, I don't want, I just want him to be healthy and I want him to get through the experience and not get hurt. You know, that's that's the only concern I would have is just uh, I'd love them to have the rest. But, you know, it's also there's a bigger meaning there, too. And I think it's giving back to the game. Well, that is a very you, you use the right word. That's a very wholesome way to look at it. So I'll take my cynical <laughs> goggles off for a minute and say <laughs> this is going to be good for everybody. Igor is going. Maybe he'll have one of his teammates going with him. Maybe he'll have his good friend uh, Ilya Sorokin be the other goalie that's picked, which really to me is kind of a no-brainer for that for the Metro. And I think that'd be make it much more fun for the two of them. There's two guys that spent the holidays together uh, at Shesterkin's house up 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 here in Connecticut. Um, they're good friends. They're rivals on two rival teams. It's uh, it's a great little story that these guys have been friends for so long, going back to the KHL in their amateur days, and here they are. You know, two of the top ten goalies in the league for for the two most heated rivals in the New York area. So you there know, are ways um, to look at it that it's. Good. I'm, I'm gonna. Sorry, now I'm interrupting you a second time. You know, Arthur, 
after playing in the KHL for two years, you realize too that a lot of those guys over there, they get pulled from their family homes when they're 12 years old, you know? So this this is this is a bond for the Russian guys to come to the United States, play in the NHL that starts when you're 12 years old, 13 years old. And our team in Yaroslavl and my team when I played for the Red Army in Moscow, we would see the young guys, 12, 13 years old, in the dirt doing one-legged squats and they have a strong bond there. And I saw a few things on social media about why Igor is getting together with Ilya. And uh, it's it's because they've been doing it this way because they've only had each other. And that bond is strong from when you're very, very young over there in Russia. And that goes for all players. They understand that when they come over here. And I think that that's wild for people to think in North America that because you are living so far away from a major center uh, of a team that you have to move and get pulled from your family that young, but it's, it happens all the time over there. Yeah. Well, we're back at it for 2023. Good show as always. Thanks a lot, Valley. Hey buddy. Thank you. Uh, let's go Rangers. And thanks everybody out there for listening to the garden faithful. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review if you're enjoying the show. It really helps us out. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. Arthur Staples, Steve Valiquette, Chris Flannery running the board. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week.